Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. It's here. The most anticipated holiday of the year, and it finally has arrived. You know, one of the things I do love about Christmas is all of the, um, the Christmas pageants where we recreate the stable, the manger, and, and that whole scene. I mean, it, it's a beautiful thing because when I, when I think about this, there's something very charming about all these little boys wearing a bathrobe. You know what I'm saying? With a towel over their head and a staff because they're shepherds. And if it's a fancy program, there's other kids on all fours scurrying around these guys in sort of this white cotton stuff because they're sheep. It's awesome. <clears throat> they're also the wise men. Now, the wise men are the best dressed of all. I mean, they got like kingly looking things on. They've got crowns with purple and jewels. And you know what? Uh, the wise men are awesome. There's also the angels. Don't you love the, the angels? Their mothers have worked hard, maybe with the help of their dad, to create this contraption that gives them wings and then even a halo. So, I mean, they're all ready to go. Um, there's Mary, of course, and she's carrying baby Jesus. And then there's one other person. Who would that be? Oh, that's right, Joseph. You know, Joseph is the nondescript character in the, in the manger scene. If you're a young boy here and you want to be on stage but you don't want to memorize lines, you want to be Joseph. Let me just tell you that. He doesn't say a thing. He just stands there. He's really the forgotten character in the Christmas story. But I want to talk about him today. Um, you know, the fact is that when God decided to send his son to earth, Jesus was raised by a couple human parents in an ordinary village. It wasn't God's plan to, you know, raise Jesus up in heaven with all the angels where there would be no problem. Uh, no, no, he sent him to an ordinary couple. He entrusted the story of the redemption of man, especially the part where Jesus, the infant, and the young child had to be cared for by parents, because all of us have to, and, and, and it was Joseph who was the primary leader of this young family. He would be in charge of providing for them, for protecting them. He was the one that taught Jesus as he grew uh, how to recite the first words of Torah. Joseph spent more time with Jesus than any other person in the story of redemption, most likely except for Mary. It was Joseph that taught him how to hold a hammer to understand the skill of being a carpenter. It was Joseph that took him to the temple and gave him the name Jesus. Um, let's read the story. We were here last week. We're coming back here, but we have a different focus. But Joseph has stuff to teach us today. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Here's the story. Let's read the story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Uh, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, he, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, took to him uh, his, as his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. I've got several things for us to think about as we try to explore the gift of his example that, that Joseph gives to us. The first thing is this. Joseph, Joseph was called a righteous man. He was actually, some scholars have, have done some study and the term a just man or a righteous man it comes from the Hebrew word called Sadiq. Sadiq was actually a small group of people, like a subset of the Pharisees who had dedicated themselves to Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible. This group believed with all of their heart that the best way to live was to build your life on the teaching of God. I mean, that God's way was the best way. They understood that God was real and that he was right. And they believed in the goodness of God. And they believed that God's word contained the secret sauce to a good life. God's ways are right. And so they determined they would obey God. This stands out in contrast to the prevailing narrative of our culture today, which basically declares that there really is no truth. Your truth, my truth can be different, but you know, whatever you think is true is all that matters. Um, in our day, the, 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 uh, the narrative is this, well, follow your heart. That's the ultimate thing to do. Follow your heart. If it seems good to you, then you should do it. This idea of discipline, delayed gratification, hard work, uh, th those things are not important. We're free to be who we want to be. That, that's, that's the narrative of our culture today. We even have a saying that kind of goes like this. I've heard people say this. You know, boys will be boys. Boys need to sow their wild oats. Now, the problem with that philosophy is any young boy given permission to do whatever in the world they want, being influenced by other young men who are kind of in the same, you know, stage of life, they could get themselves into a lot of trouble. And as they sow their wild oats, what they do is they create tremendous disaster for the rest of their life. And this is not just about boys. This is about girls. This is about everybody. People who live with a sense of confusion and no direction actually are in a lot of trouble. The Sadiq, that's a part of, of men that Joseph was a part of, they, had, they were not like that. They were determined that God's way was the best way. And Joseph, as a young man, was a high achiever who decided he was gonna pay the price he was, he was gonna be self-disciplined. He was gonna be careful. He was gonna study what God had to say. And so he, he gave his life to follow the plan of God, believing this was gonna be a good thing in the end. I mean, it affected his diet. It affected his sexual purity. It, it affected his understanding of personal integrity. He carefully worked to develop a relationship with God, uh, and, and to, he had spiritual disciplines. Joseph was called a righteous man. He would not just do the right things. He wanted his character, his heart, his soul, his mind to be carefully directed toward obedience 
toward God. He wanted a relationship with God. That's what he wanted. Joseph was a righteous man. He was also a skilled craftsman. He was a carpenter. Now, while I, when in our day, when we say that you're a carpenter, that's kind of a subset of all of the building professions. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Because you have electricians, you have masons. Okay, so there's all, so many different professions. But Jesus, Jesus, Joseph was a carpenter. But a carpenter wasn't just a guy that used wood. In fact, the carpenters were also masons. They, they built the buildings. They were the first century engineers. They would go in and they would, from ground level, from the very beginning, establish the foundation stones, design the beams, start to put the building together. Carpenters like Joseph, they, they, were, the, they were important to a, a small village like Bethlehem. If something went wrong in your house, you went and called Joseph because he knew what to do. I mean, it was clear that Joseph was a man that had a plan. And he was carefully working his plan. It was an, it was an admirable plan. He had focus and discipline. And he was betrothed to Mary, which means this engagement period would one day lead to them starting their own family. He would make a great husband. Everybody out here who has daughters, I got a couple daughters. I've got, I got three of them, but um, th these are, this is the kind of guy you want them to marry. You know what I'm trying to say? You don't want them to marry some deadbeat bum that can't, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, you get it. Joseph, as part of the Sadiq, would have been a leader of his community. His, he would sit in the circles and he would read Torah, and he would be called upon to offer a prayer. He would be respected and honored because of the kind of man that he was. And then, number two, he had a life-changing conversation. Mary, the young woman he was betrothed to, comes to him and says to him that she was expecting a baby. Now, Joseph knew it wasn't his baby. He was a moral man. He tells him, she tells him the story that an angel came to her and told her that God was, had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. And even though she was a virgin, it was God's plan for her to conceive and have the Christ child. And Mary, Mar Mary said, yes, I'm willing if this is your plan. Joseph hears this far-fetched stories, and he's like, you gotta give me a break, Mary. This is, you kidding me? It's impossible for a virgin to conceive, right? His heart was also broken. And he knew that he was entering a time of being disgraced. His plan was going to fall apart. When he heard this, he was grieved. And he loved Mary. And he knew the only path for him to rescue his personal reputation was to publicly declare Mary to, be un to, ha to have been unfaithful. His only option was to expose her. The legal process 
that was necessary would put her out there on her own, but that was the only way for him to protect his reputation and be released from this engagement. And he entered into a time of great anxiety and confusion, and it was a painful time. The law was clear. Somehow Joseph felt like, this is it. But then something happened to this guy that moved him past legalism, and he saw Mary, and he had compassion for her. And as he looked at this young girl, he was all confused, but things springing up within him were, were mercy and compassion. His commitment to righteousness was met with this mercy and compassion. Isn't this interesting how this is kind of a foreshadowing of the very ministry of Jesus? Throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus, though he was committed to righteousness, he took righteousness but refused to be legalistic. Jesus took the truth and righteousness and merged that with compassion and mercy. And in that zone right there, the tension, he did some incredible things. When people needed forgiveness or healing or food, Moved with compassion, Jesus would help. His great mercy and compassion led him to tell stories like the story of the prodigal son who had done so much damage to the father, cost him so much, one day repented and came back, and the father doesn't respond with legalism. He responds with mercy and compassion and forgiveness is the story of the woman that was taken in adultery and brought and thrown at Jesus' feet by the Pharisees, who were legalists. And they said, ah, this woman, this woman was caught in the very act, and our law says that she should be stoned. And, and so Jesus is there. He's all about righteousness. He knows the law. He wrote the law. But he looks at this woman who has been thrown in front of him who... Clearly, she's done some things wrong. And he starts to write something in the ground. And then he says to these men who are demanding that the stoning commence, okay, so anyone here without sin, you should throw the first stone. And he go back, goes back to writing. We'll never know what he was writing, actually. A lot of speculation. Doesn't matter. God tells us what he wants us to know. Whatever it was, this group of men who were ready to start stoning her read it and heard his instruction. Okay, the one here without sin, you should begin. And one by one, they left. They dropped their rocks and they walked away. And at the end of this story, the woman is there, humiliated, hurt. Jesus says to her, woman, where's your accusers? She said, only you remain. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. You know what, this is the good news of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Righteousness and truth remain intact, but the compassion and mercy of God joins together in this beautiful zone of the grace and compassion of Jesus. And it's interesting that Joseph experiences a personal transformation. The, second, the third thing is that in this moment, what am I going to do with Mary? What am I going to do with Mary? I, he, he expresses grace toward her. He knew that he had to end, the relation, to end the relationship in order to recover his reputation to at least some degree. And he looked at his young fiance and decided he would not expose her, but he'd put her away quietly. He would get released from the marriage commitment. He realized his reputation would most likely be permanently damaged because of what she had done. He would suffer that loss, and people would assume the worst. But he loved Mary too much to put this to a public trial and watch her be ground into the dirt by all of the discussions. In his kindness, he was going to protect her. The next thing that he does is he hears an unexpected command. In the middle of his pain and the tension, he receives a visit from an angel. And the angel affirms that Mary, in fact, is telling the truth. The impossibility of a virgin conceiving has become possible because with God nothing shall be impossible. And in fact, Mary is carrying the Christ child. And Joseph, the angel, says, I, I want you to take her home as your wife. And when the baby is born, you will adopt the baby because whoever names the baby is the father. And I want you to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And Joseph, you've got to understand that what's going on here is Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. It is God with us. Now Joseph has to make a choice. He's been instructed now to marry, to take Mary as his wife. This will turn his life plan upside down in ways he could never have imagined. You know, in a small town, um, everybody knows everybody's business. Sometimes in a church, people know everybody's business, right? Got to be careful, everybody. And everybody knows how to count to nine. And everybody's going to figure out that, oh, wait a second here, this baby, hey, listen, uh, that baby was not conceived after the, the marriage. He would no longer be a Sadiq. If he obeys, his whole life plan is going to be thrown away. His reputation will be lost. He will no longer be held in high regard. He, he will not ever be called to pray or to teach Torah. He will, he will not be invited to gatherings that he was used to attending. His business would very likely decline because now his reputation of lacking integrity and trustworthiness has been tarnished. And people were sensitive to this stuff. You know what? 
obeying God is easy when we like what he's asking us to do. It's hard when his call to obedience will cost us. But true obedience will always cost. A price will be paid. At this point in his life, he begins to grieve. You know when your plan falls apart, don't you feel lost, confused? That's what Joseph was feeling. All of us will experience times in our lives when something will happen. Maybe we fail. Maybe somebody dies. Maybe circumstances around us change. And we just don't even know what to do anymore. Those will be times of great grief. Joseph was experiencing tremendous grief. But Joseph also proves that he is truly a righteous man, that he truly loved God because he would be obedient to the command even though to follow God's command meant he would give everything up that he, would, he had been chasing. But he would grieve and he would trust. Now here's the reality. God is willing to allow us to go through grief and difficulty. Did you know that? I hear people say, why? Why does God let this happen? Why is it? Okay, I, I, that's, that is my response in the middle of pain and suffering. I'm telling you. But it's the wrong question. Because we got the answer. God is more concerned about our spiritual growth and development than he is our comfort. And sometimes it is in the crucible of grief and loss that we gain the most. So Joseph did two things to demonstrate his obedience. First of all, he took Mary home as his wife. It was sort of a legal maneuver, a juncture. Where now, she, now he would be permanently connected to her stained reputation. He also did as the angel commanded when the baby was born. It was Joseph that named him Jesus, making that the moment where he publicly adopted him as his son, even though many people were whispering about who really was the father of this baby. Both Mary and Jesus were righteous, although misunderstood, and Joseph decides, I will take their reproach on me because that's what the angel said God wanted me to do. There are times in our life when it's very necessary for us to be, um, be willing to be misunderstood and to graciously accept undue criticism and judgment. Joseph said, okay, This hurts. This is painful. You know, I'm, I'm, I think that he was glad he made this choice because Joseph, as he looked into the eyes of people after this moment, saw their disrespect. He saw them looking down at him. But when he looked into the eyes of Jesus, his young child, he knew he had done the right thing. God sent Jesus into the world and, and 
He, he would be called a friend of sinners. And interestingly enough, he puts Jesus in a family that is now declared by most people around them as a sinful second-class family. And you know what? Jesus had compassion on women in his ministry that were kind of scandalous, walking around failures, because he saw how his mother and father were treated, how the word got out that she was not married when she got pregnant, and all the religious folks shunned them, and Jesus had to have admired his dad's courage to choose to stand with Mary and to stand with him, even though it cost him everything. Joseph loved them. Never, never left their side. At the end of the story, you know what? The entire human race knows Joseph and Mary were truly righteous people. Joseph took an unexpected turn. His obedience brought him grief and difficulty. Joseph loved Jesus in ways no one else could because he was daddy in the house. He's the one that, that bent down and did like this as Jesus took his first steps. And in his mind, can you imagine what he's thinking? Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. I know this is God, but, but he's a toddler in front of me and he's lunging for me as he takes his first steps. And I love him so much. And Joseph sits with Jesus and says, all right, Jesus, as you learn to talk, let's recite words from the Torah. And he would teach him how to speak words from the Torah. And Joseph lived in this amazing experience of experiencing the incarnation of God and loving this little baby. Joseph also was thrust into a heavenly war immediately as forces of evil came against Jesus to kill him. Literally, Herod declared, kill all of the baby boys in, in Bethlehem. And in the middle of the night, the angel came and told Joseph, Joseph, get up, get up now. Take Mary and this child and go to Egypt because they're coming to kill all the baby boys. And they did. And, and the weeping and lament of Bethlehem is noted as one that could not be consoled. And Joseph was the protector that took him to Egypt. And he rebuilt his business there until the angel told him, you can go back home now. Wow. Joseph is an incredible guy. You know, all of us are gonna have things that will happen to us, and maybe you're here today and it's Christmas, and we have this idea that at Christmas everything should be perfect, and, and it's really tough for us to deal with sadness and loss at Christmas. You know, two years ago tonight, my dad passed away in my home. Seemed like a, an interesting combination of events. Christmas and watch my dad die on the same day. But that's exactly what life is about. You know, there's um, a book written by Kay Warren, who is the wife of pastor and author Rick Warren, and she wrote this book in 2012, and it was entitled Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. That was her book. 
And in her book, she revealed that she had a close family member who was living with mental illness. And the very next year, news spread that her son had taken his own life. And in fact, that close family member that she described was her own son. And she says that in that moment, our struggle became a catastrophic loss. She says, I really believe God allowed me to write Choose Joy to prepare me for what was ahead so I would have the tools I desperately needed to survive, even thrive during my life's most tragic losses. Kay goes on to say this, you know, we all live with those parallel train tracks of joy and sorrow, every one of us have to determine in our hearts things about God. You know, I heard one person say, you, you gotta have both tracks. You've gotta have joy and sorrow. Some people get to the sorrow and they drop out of the joy and the, the train will derail. But when grief, sorrow, and joy stay as part of the tracks, you and I can survive. And as Kay Warren says, even thrive. She says there are some things that we must determine in our hearts about God. She's, this is what she determined. God is true. God is unchangeable. He is, worth, he is worthy. Um, he's amazing. His works are, are true. She says, when we meditate on him, from there we develop an eternal perspective that allows us to filter the things that happen to us across the grid. And at the end of the day, because we, we do believe that God is in control, because we do believe that if everything in my life is okay, isn't okay, I'll be okay because God is there. And, 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 and that is where the joy flows out of. It matters what we believe. I think Joseph was an expert at living in grief, but choosing joy. And Joseph, from a human perspective, is this incredible part of the story of redemption of mankind. And one day I want to get to heaven and I want to talk to Joseph. He, you know, he, doesn't, he didn't say anything in the Bible, so we're going to have to go talk to him in person. But he, he spoke volumes with his life. And I think what he would say is this. Oh, please strive to be righteous because God's way is the best way. You can avoid a lot of pain, suffering, and difficulty you bring on yourself. You could just pursue righteousness. And, but when you pursue righteousness, don't become a legalist. Understand that righteousness and mercy and compassion, they need to go together. And that was the mission of Jesus. And choose obedience and embrace the grief and embrace the sorrow and trust. I want to ask you to bow your heads, if you will.